Blog Talk Radio. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that bad. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, came up with a plan on on how to end it. He talks about a seven-year-old child. Mm -hmm. if, even if he's referring to actually an adult, so let's say we change that to an adult, and say the woman shudders because the man kisses her even passionately. The fact is that he shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, 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 yes, even to this day, when I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work. Okay, welcome to Come Get Some Extra. This is Chris Kirby. You can follow me at Mind6Man on Twitter, or you can also follow the show at uh, CGS underscore here. You can also email me, cgshere at gmail.com. And, of course, I have a Facebook webpage, and I have um, a website, comegetsome.com, and also a YouTube channel, CGS, which has only 200 views on it right now, and some video from the last Clearwater event. Uh, the latest one put up was, of course, uh, Kathy Shankelberg, who was the first Scientologist, ex-Scientologist. I ever spoke to on this podcast, which kind of launched my interest into doing this. And, um, yeah, so uh, check that out. I uh, I only have two interviews up because it takes a long time for me to do it. Uh, it's very time-consuming. I don't like just putting up a side-by-side picture and just streaming audio. I like to be a little creative with it and put the pictures. And um, and uh, today's been a bit interesting because I had a lot planned to talk about, but then um, there was that shooting uh, this morning in Texas, and it's been uh, – was it three days in, uh, or eight days and three shootings, something like that? And 22 shootings this year in schools. And uh, it's becoming too much the norm. And I hope that, hope we don't uh, get too comfortable with that. And, um, well, I'm still learning about what happened there. I know it was eight deaths this morning in uh, Santa Fe, Texas. Um, so my thoughts and, uh, um, all my most positive interviews with families. I, I wish them all the best, and uh, and I, I just don't know what to say. I'm speechless on that anymore. Speaking of speechless, uh, getting around to the issues of this podcast. Um, of course, uh, Taryn Render, uh, Mike Render's daughter, has been uh, on a major campaign trail to damage uh, her father, Mike Render's reputation. It's been a, a smear campaign, the likes of. Uh, many smear campaigns put out against the people who speak out against Scientology. Uh, this time against her own father. Um, been years since the last time they spoke out, her and her mom, against Mike, and it's been pretty aggressive. And uh, I just want to say I did reach out um, to invite uh, Taryn Rinder onto this podcast. I have not heard a response as predicted. I didn't think I would get a response. Um, it's if you look at Taryn's Twitter account and Facebook account, the same things get posted every day, repeatedly. And uh, basically, she attended a public event about woman abuse of women and uh, spousal abuse, and tried to wrap the Me Too movement and everything into her task, trying to get justice for mom, as she calls it, quote unquote, justice for mom. But Everything always comes back to the same thing, and, and you hear her say things like, um, this is not just about religion. It's not just about Scientology. 
about abuse of women and about a lifetime, a lifetime of family and uh, parental abuse and husband abuse. And, but it always comes back, there's always comes back to the religion. It always comes back to one event, one event, one injury suffered uh, by Mike Render's ex-wife. Now, uh, this audio, this audio can be heard and found anywhere on the internet. And uh, basically, in this audio, Mike Rinder is just sitting in a car waiting for Christy Colburn to come out of a doctor's appointment. And his car is surrounded by his brother-in-law, his daughter, and his mom. I can't remember if somebody else was there, and they were just yelling all the while and at the same time, just frantic, just screaming at Mike Rinder. And, of course, um, he was on the phone with John Sweeney, and John Sweeney recorded this, so you can hear it all. And uh, even to the point to where the uh, receptionist felt the need to call the police for the disturbance at this place of business. And in that thing, in that whole crazy, frantic thing, um, there was uh, Mike Renner's ex-wife pulling on him, in which he pulled away, which resulted in a gash on his ex-wife's arm. And this apparently is an injury that is life-altering and life-changing. Her arm will never be the same, apparently, and never has been, but we're just really hearing about this chronic, never-healing pain um, 10 years later. Now, I don't have any doubt because we talked to people who've been in Scientology. We talked to people who felt and acted the way that Taryn's acting who are living different lives right now. One of them would be Mike Rinder himself who have a different disposition. And this message uh, is not just for, for Taryn, but for any member of Scientology who's disconnected from their families, who speaks out against their families. Um, I don't doubt that in some way, shape, or form, you blame uh, your family member for everything, or that you don't I, – I don't doubt that you believe in some way, shape, or form that you were neglected. And uh, I think Mike himself would say he – and he, say he said it, that he was a bad father. He was a Sea Org father. So, um, so I don't doubt that you believe in a way he was neglectful and that you believe that he just deserted you, which isn't the case. Um, I don't doubt for a second uh, that you've convinced yourself that he was abusive to your mom. And the thing is… That you and your mom and others have told this story before. Years ago, you told a different version of what we all hear on the audio. So I also don't doubt that you know and knowingly lied about what happened at that event and about this whole justice for mom thing. It's all a bunch of crap. And what really is offensive about it is there's people who… Um, have been raped and molested as children. There's people who've been physically abused. There's, of course, the mental abuse. Who knows what's happening to you and your mom? And uh, and those people need justice. Those people are really abused. And the people who did those crimes against them are walking free than Scientology. Every crime I mentioned there and more. Are walking free, unreported, because you know the greater good. You can't talk bad about the religion. And Taryn, I just want to tell you that, regardless of the fact, and this goes for everyone else who has a family member: Sammy, Jeremy, Jessica, all these family members. Craig, uh, and more. I'm not mentioning right now. I just can't come up with the top of my head. But this goes for all of you, not just Taryn. And that is, even though you spoke out against your family members. Even though you lied and you know you've lied, no matter what you've said and done, Taryn, look at all the videos you made and all the propaganda against your dad recently. When you go to these events and take pictures, anyone can take pictures taking hands with the DA of, of the Los Angeles police. Anybody can take pictures of Gretchen Carlson and say thank you for listening and being the leading force in my cause. That's pretty, uh, pretty sneaky. You know what you've done, and regardless of everything you've done, dishonest and otherwise, you know that tomorrow. And if you don't know, you need to know. 
tomorrow, today, whenever, you can go home, and I know Mike and all these other family members are going to be so happy to accept you back in their homes. They'll be there for you waiting. Here's the flip side of that. If and when you do that, Scientology, when you go back, will not be waiting. You will be declared, and you will not be allowed back. One of these embodies unconditional love and compassion and what family is, and one of these is completely unethical and is all about separating and keeping the family unit apart. Use your head a little bit and know this. Know that as well as all these other crimes that people are fighting for justice for within Scientology, know this, Taryn and everybody else, what Lear Remedy wants, what I want, Chris Shelton wants, what Tony Ortega wants, what, what all these people who speak out against Scientology want, what Mike Rinder really wants is justice for you. And someday, some way, somehow, you will see that and you will get that. Until then, here's today's interview. Hey, so today I got someone very special, someone who's been working real hard on uh, making sure people are aware of all the aspects of what happens with Scientology. This person in particular is not an ex-Scientologist, but she was married to one, and she feels like, and you may agree, that Scientology is responsible for her husband's death, and we'll get into to how that all went down, but welcome to the show, Penny. Hi, Chris. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation to chat with you today and to share a little bit of, of my story and my husband Brian's story with your listeners. So I'm, I knew there was something I was forgetting to talk to you about before I hit record is how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> and this goes, Penny. <laughs> It's um, actually no one knows how to pronounce it or spell it or um, it's Michelle. And uh, even my banker who's known me for close to 15 years can't figure it out. So (laughs) no shame there. (laughs) Penny Penny is just fine. (laughs) It's just fine. (laughs) All right, Penny. So something interesting I want to get out of the way about you that I find interesting at least is, you belong to a what I guess some would consider a fringe religion. Um, can you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, I am a 20-year neo-pagan. Um, I entered this community through the gateway drug. The gateway <laughs> um, drug? I, the gateway drug. I entered this community through Wicca. I trained... Um, as a Wiccan practitioner for a number of years. Um, officially, I guess that's what I would call myself as Wiccan. Um, unofficially, I call myself a neo-pagan. For me, it's a lifestyle more than um, than a religion, I guess you would say, although there are certainly spiritual aspects. Um, to your bigger question, Wicca and neo-paganism are um, considered new religious movements, yes. Okay, because I've read a little bit about it. I haven't had time to do a lot of research, but to some extent, there's people who feel paganism is cultish in its own right. Um, But I think I read something that there's different different ways of practicing from different groups of people. I don't know if you can bring some clarity to that. Right. So, you know, I am... I did uh, religious. I did religious ministry. I volunteered in um, a couple of men's correctional facilities for a number of years, and I taught what was kind of jokingly called Wicca 101 pretty much every week for a number of years. And so, one of the things that we would talk about is you can ask three Wiccans what they believe on any topic, and you might get eight different answers. So in Wicca, I can't really speak to other um, forms of paganism, but in Wicca there is no dogma. There's no strong hierarchy, and there's no dogma. There's no you must 
believe this thing or you must not believe that thing. Um, that's not to say that you wouldn't find some um, high levels of control. I guess might be a more understandable term than cult because people tend to get upset at cult, although I use the word. But you might find high levels of control in some small groups. And I think that that's true across um, society as we know it. We find those high levels of control in political groups, in educational groups, in business, in um, clubs and organizations. I guess martial arts is a big place where we find high control groups. Hmm. So absolutely, you can find groups with high level control groups within paganism. Um, I, I don't think you could quantify paganism as being universally anything, actually, except that you know, it's not Abrahamic in practice. It's not Judeo-Christian or um, Islamic in practice. Are you worshiping anything? Are you praying? Is there a goal? What, 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 do you, what is the practice? If, if you can just give a summary. So in Wicca, again, so let's just back up a tiny bit and say, if you think of paganism as an umbrella, like you could call Christianity an umbrella. And then under that umbrella, you would have different denominations. So in Christianity, you would have Methodists, Lutherans, Catholics, Baptists, whatever, right? Under okay. the umbrella of paganism, you would have the heathens and the druids and um, different forms of Wicca. Wicca is the biggest group under the paganism umbrella, but even within that, there are lots and lots of different forms. Typically, um, you would say that these groups are theistic in that they worship a god or number of gods, depending on their practice. So, and how that worship is done, again, is going to change from group to group because there's no dogma and there's no hierarchy. So it's really going to be up to the people who are practicing. Um, Okay. So it sounds like yeah. your explanation of it being a group of people better fits what they do in pay. It, it doesn't really even by definition really match what's um, accepted as a religion. Like, like, I don't think they're like text. They don't have text. Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. But individual churches have to file for tax exempt status. So um, I'm, I am a member of a church. It's one of the oldest in Minnesota, if not in the U.S., um, that has a 501c3 tax exempt status. But remember that your 501c3 doesn't, get, doesn't proclaim you as a religion. Scientologists would like you to say we're a religion because we have this exemption. That's not the case. What 501c3 says is that you are a church who offers certain benefits and, and, um, and activities or um, services to members. It doesn't say you're a religion. It says that you offer things to your membership sitting of a church. So 501c3 can be a church an educational organization or a charitable organization, but it doesn't say that you are a religion. However, um, Wicca has been recognized by um, the Department of Defense, so you can have that on your dog tags that your official religion is Wicca for a very long time. Um, and in 2007, after a long struggle, was recognized by the Veterans Administration so that veterans who um, identified their personal religion as wicked could have the pentacle on their gravestone. So there is some official recognition, but the U.S. government does not recognize religions. It recognizes churches and within some confines gives what they consider religions some rights, such as to have your religion on your dog tag or your symbol on your headstone. But the atheists have a symbol for headstones. So, huh. um, yeah. Okay. As right. I understand it, Scientology does not. So you're saying 
maybe you understand this better than I do from your research. You're saying Scientology is technically not even as recognized a religion as Wiccan? Am I getting that right? I don't know that I have researched it to the point of saying that. I'm saying that it, it appears that they have not jumped through the hoops to have their symbol um, on veterans' gravestones. Okay. And, and they can make their argument for it based on their own dogma. Oh, sure. Uh, so yeah, it's, a, it's an application that you fill out and you, you know, submit documentation and probably argue for a number of years with the Veterans Administration to get it approved. Right. They'd probably just say they don't want it because government's evil. So. <laughs> possibly. Very possibly. Very possibly. All right. So, so now we have a little bit better understanding of where you're coming from. How, how did you come to meet Brian and, um, and then, you know, get into a little bit how you found out what Scientology was and what it was doing to him? Brian was a patient at the chiropractic office where I was the office manager. And um, he was never on time for his appointments. It's funny, I was just writing about this today. He was never on time for his appointments, and we had a policy enforced by me that um, when people were late to miss their appointments, we called them within so many minutes. And... Um, so I, you know, one of us, typically me, ended up calling him a couple of times a week, you know, and you kind of get to be good phone buddies. So um, so we had kind of this little thing going back and forth about I'd call and say, hey, are you going to come in and see us today? And he'd be like, yeah, I'm wandering in. <laughs> <laughs> then he'd come in the door and I'd say, so did you miss us? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, I missed you. <laughs> and then um, one day I said, hey, have you liked our Facebook page because one of our doctors is putting up some new content, including some video clips from this event we just had, and I think you are in one of those clips. And he said, oh, no, I haven't really figured out how to do Facebook yet. And I said, well, I'll show you. And he goes, what's that going to cost me? And without thinking, I said, I don't know, a cup of tea? And then I was horrified, realizing that I had just, in effect, asked this patient to take me out for tea. Right. <laughs> And he said, that sounds great. And he walked away, and my coworker, um, who is a dear, dear friend, rolled her chair across the front desk office area and slammed into mine because we used to ride our chairs around like bumper cars. And she said, um, you should date Brian. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm not dating a patient. And she's like, you need to. And I'm like, no, he's older than me, and I'm pretty sure he's seeing somebody. And she's like, nope. No, you need to date Brian. And from that day on, she was on a mission. So she oh, kind of, yeah, she she played matchmaker behind the scenes. <laughs> and that's, that's how that happened. Okay. Now, how long into dating Brian did he find out you were Wiccan? Um, I suspect, that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. I suspect that he probably knew before we started dating because he was good friends with one of our doctors who was also a member of the church and another coworker of mine who was also a member of the church. So I'm pretty sure that they would have said something. Oh, they were Scientologists as well? Yes, one of the doctors and one of my coworkers. Oh, wow. We're all that's why there are words that I never use because I've heard them way too many times. <laughs> oh, okay. This brings up new mm -hmm. questions. Um, mm -hmm. These are by doctor. You said you mean chiropractic doctor? <laughs> yes. Okay, because I'm not sure. Like Scientologists probably wouldn't be doctor doctors. Would they have their own there brand are, of doctor? There are. Some, I think, but I, they have to be few and far between. Well, I think they have what's called, quote-unquote, Scientology doctors, which probably practice a little bit different uh, than your normal yeah. doctors. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't really know. I thought that Brian had said to me that he 
knew somebody who was an MD, but I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Okay. And how long? So, so did he ever say anything about it? Did he have an opinion on that? Did he think? Did he think it was weird that you were Wiccan? Oh no, Brian loved Brian loved our practices. Really, Brian? Oh yeah, Brian was Brian was a true believer. He really, really, really believed that Hubbard was mankind's a word I hate mankind's greatest friend, and that everyone should be a Scientologist, and we all should, as he would say, reach for it. But but he never was advanced enough to know that there were things he wasn't supposed to be doing. So Brian was way more woo out there than me. Brian loved our practices. He loved some circles. He loved outdoor events. He loved, we have, it, Wicca has, um, our, like if you think of our seasonal holidays, we call it the Wheel of the Year. Brian loved the Wheel of the Year, loved it. You know, he, okay. he thought it was great. Well, I think that's what I've said this before. Some intelligent people, how do intelligent people fall for cult? I think some intelligent people who get into Scientology are open-minded people who are looking for something unique with different practices that aren't the same old robotic day in and day out thing. And you know, other fringe religions, if I can call it fringe religion. Um, demonstrate or allow for that kind of thing to happen but you know yeah yeah the case in Scientology is different go ahead I'm sorry right yep that might describe him that you know looking for something different not not what he grew up with um yeah more actively involved kind of self-agency yeah that I would say that describes him now the difference between what you describe your experiences as awakening are concerned versus his experiences as a Scientologist or most people's experiences I've heard as a Scientologist is that something difference becomes a, a mind numbingly um, control mechanism. And, and I, I guess you didn't feel that way as a, did, did you ever look at what Scientology was when you realized what you were dealing with and what your husband was going through? Did it ever make you, second guess what you do in your religion. I was wondering about that. Oh, absolutely. And in that year, year and a half from when things started really to go south, before he got sick and before the attacks, but after some other things happened, um, I have jokingly said to my, you know, group, I'm just going to go be an atheist because I can't be part of any religion. This is so awful. Um, and in fact, I have to say that the two groups that I trained in were, were more high control. Well, probably any group is more high control than, than my group that I have now. But the two groups that I trained in were certainly more high control than than what was a good fit for me because I was a I'm a born heretic I question everything. Um, always question everything. But it, oh, always, always. But I would say even with that, even with my group that's been you know in existence now for for five years, it's changed how I do things. Um, my experience with Scientology has changed how I do things and how we do things in this group. Um, we, um, the first two classes you take with me, and I'm the only Wiccan pagan group in the world, I'm sure, who does this. The first two classes you take if you want to join our group is, the first one is Compassion and Ethics, um, which is very much along the Buddhist idea of Compassion and Ethics. Um, and the second is Critical Thinking, and you have to complete those before you can move on to anything else. Because if you don't have those skills, um, frankly, uh, you know, we don't, we might love you, but we don't want you to be part of the group. You have to have those skills to be able to interact um, ethically and intelligently. You know, so we do things like critical thinking bingo is a game that we play in our, really? in our group. <laughs> yeah. It is I, all yeah, I made because... it up. 
This is all because what you saw in Scientology, you mm-hmm. implemented this into yeah. your group. You had the power to do that. Yeah. 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 Um, it, yeah. And, and absolutely, because of what I saw, saw happening in Scientology with Brian, the levels of control, the inability to question things, the inability to um, think for yourself. Um, and I started little by little bringing those into my group. That's good. That's good. I mean, Scientology has ethics too, minus the compassion and actually ethics. But <laughs> as but, long as you're applying it correctly, define, they define ethics as how much you do for the Church of Scientology. Absolutely. You know, and it, and if you look at Tibetan Buddhism. Ethics are defined as my desire to seek happiness and avoid suffering is on equal par with your desire to seek happiness and avoid suffering. And how do we negotiate that? Yeah, that's good. That's really good because, yeah, I think what we see a lot on the news and in society today is uh, you're not being ethical if I don't like what you said. Or if you're not serving right. me properly, and that's how Scientology ethics seems to work. Right, right, exactly. Exactly, okay. and there's no compassion at all. No. If I understand correctly from our previous discussions, um, Brian came into the relationship with a form of cancer. He already had cancer. Right, right. So he was diagnosed with stage 1 prostate cancer probably in 2000. Eight is my is my best remembrance of that was 2008 and I met him in the end of 2009. Okay. So you you actually have you have medical certifications is that right you have medical knowledge? I don't have current certifications. I was a biology student in college. I worked in emergency medical services. Um, I've worked in medical offices, but more importantly, I'm a nerd. I read <laughs> research papers for fun because I'm a nerd. So you've done your research. You've been around it. Um, you you say he was managing the cancer. The cancer wasn't unmanageable, right? Correct. He um, he before I met him. Um, decided that he didn't want to do surgery and he refused to do radiation because there's some Scientology thing against radiation. Apparently it re-stimulates your memory of volcanoes, although I don't know if he knew what it re-stimulated. But um, so he refused to do radiation and he didn't want to do surgery. And he decided, particularly because he was like 63 probably at that time, so for a 63-year-old man with stage 1 prostate cancer, it's really wait and watch, kind of, you know, keep an eye on what's going on. Most men are going to develop prostate cancer at some point, and the vast majority of those are going to die of something else. Um, Thanks so for the hope you've he... given me. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited yeah, for my future. I, I have a brain full of useless trivia. <laughs> oh, man. So he decided to do the wait and see and in the in and at the same time to make some lifestyle changes. So to um you know, kind of clean up his diet a little bit, get some more exercise, um look at some meditation, you know, not allowed by Scientology, but he didn't know that. Um and and it was well controlled. He never had a prostate um, symptom until 2015 after the church attacked me. Okay, so obviously things were okay for a while. There was something that happened that brought to your attention what Scientology was. Did you think it was just another different religion like yours? at first? I did. So when did it change? I did. Well, you know, because I'm a nerd, I I (laughs) kind of looked some stuff up when I first started dating him. You know, 
and and I had a little bit of familiarity because I worked with, you know, um, two people who were Scientologists, and all of the doctors in our practice, there were three, had done some, because, you know, Scientology does the wise or the able or whatever, and they target chiropractors. So they had done some training through the Church of Scientology's, you know, front group there. Um, so I had some familiarity, and I I did. I just thought it was another kind of funky new religious movement, and I tended to confuse it with Christian science um, right. at first, you know, then I read a little more and I learned about it. Um, but I didn't think that it was sinister. I, I, I thought that it was odd in a way that would not really work for me, highly organized, and I don't do organized religion, and a little more mm, dogmatic, although they claim not to be, but a little more dogmatic than I would be okay with. So it's certainly not sinister. I didn't think it was sinister. Right. I think a lot of people think of it that way. I think I did too. When you hear about Lisa McPherson and and some of the suicides, and you go, you know, there's some of that in every religion and every group. Boy, did I right. not know. Um, right. At, at what point? What was it that changed for you? So you looked some stuff up, but it, uh, it became a bit of an issue in your marriage, I think, didn't it? So in 2000. Probably 11, in late 2011, the church here was in the process. They'd sold their old location, and their new ideal org was still being um, renovated. And so they were in a, in a temporary space. And I went to events with Brian, you know, if he was going to go to um, Auditor's Day or some other event. Um, I would go with him. And so we went to this event. So we've been together at this point like a little over a year. And um, and it was the the big screen with the exploding volcanoes and the <laughs> needles going back and forth across the screen and then the nonstop testimonials about stuff and and, you know, we decreased the crime rate in Columbia by 47% by passing out the way to happiness booklet. Okay, like, I grew up in a Catholic cult. Like, like you can't fool me with that stuff. And so, so the thing was, the, the event was done, and people were kind of milling around in there leaving, and I'm picking up my jacket and my bag, and I said to Brian, y'all are crazy. And I said... <laughs> I mean, and I said, not, I, mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I think all religions are crazy, including my own. But, you know, like, it's just crazy. So we walked out of there. And he didn't think, I, I think, I didn't know this at the time, and I actually know it more now probably than I did when Brian was alive. But he would just, like, take this stuff in and just mull it over and turn it over and over and over in his head until something happened. And so over that winter, over the winter of 2011, he got kind of distant. And then, um, so over that winter, he got kind of chilly and distant. And I would say, what's going on? And he'd be like, nothing. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, it's winter. Maybe it's me. I don't like winter. And then, um, and then he got really unpleasant to everyone in the household because I still had two kids at home at that time, and he started being really unpleasant to people here, and he'd be unavailable for things. And um, finally, I I don't know, something happened, and, you know, somebody said, you need to go live somewhere else or I'm going to go live somewhere else. And then, and then it kind of came out that, he was going to leave me because I was an enemy of the church. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm the enemy of your church. I go to events with you. I make you dig out your calendar and schedule your course times every week. You know, I make sure that you get there. Um, you know, he had been doing co-auditing with somebody like, 
Like, what do you mean I'm an enemy of your church? I don't even know what that means. And he said, well, you said that we're crazy. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. And this was probably, I'm guessing it was close to six months later that that happened. So, and then he never really admitted to it, but it became clear that he was talking to the woman who was um, the local OSA person, the lo- you know, DSA um, at the local org about me, and that he'd been talking to his friend who was an OTA about me. And hmm. I'm sure that they convinced him that, you know, I was evil and he needed to leave. Now, he never admitted that to me and, in fact, denied it. He was very touchy about anyone thinking that he was influenced by anyone else. But I know from other experiences when when I asked him if people had told him to say things to me and he denied it, that they actually had. I mean, they, I would find his handwritten notes of what they told him to say to me. So, um, oh, so that's what I think happened. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, that's what happened is that, um, you know, he was going to leave me because I made this one comment and he never said to me, Hey, what does this mean? Or I think, you know, whatever, just that I made this comment and he was going to leave. So that was when I started digging a little deeper and I, Actually, one of the first things I found was Marty Raffin's um, blog. And, in fact, corresponded with him briefly. He was very kind to me. Um, and then I found Operation Clambake uh, bulletin mm-hmm. boards and, of course, the ex-Scientologist message board where I had um, an account and was there reading and, well, reading more than posting, posting some, but, but reading a lot and just, I suppose, like everyone who goes down that rabbit hole, um, horrified at the things I was reading and finding out. Um, and, and by now I knew, because I knew you couldn't even make a joke about things. Um, by now I knew that I couldn't say anything about the things I was reading. And that was, that was 2012. Couple, couple things. Uh, I want to go back real quick. You actually have in your possession, or you found handwritten notes of what he was instructed to say to you. To yes, you? At, at a late, at a later event. Yes, not not in the 2012 time, but but when they attacked me in 2015. Yeah, I found this. I have them still. His handwritten notes of of what to say to me, and and when I asked him if he if you know is that what they told you to say, and he said no one told me to say anything, you know, and That's then later astounding. I found the notes. Yeah. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. them saying like I don't understand it. I think it's wrong, but I can see them saying, "Handle your wife, handle your wife, or leave her." But to give him specific written mm-hmm. instructions. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This is what you have. Yeah, to word, say. word for word, actually. And it makes you think when you say, you know, people are being made to read scripts for those, you know, those POW style videos against their family members. Um, right. Wow. Okay. Right. That's the first I've heard of the, the the handwritten instructions. I'm a little bit stunned by that. Um, I don't know why, though. I don't know why anything shocks me <laughs> anymore. Um, I know, I know, and yet we still are when we hear new things. So I believe you told me he wasn't like the greatest Scientologist, that he wasn't, I guess, you know, the, the best follower. So... Well, you know, he, here's what I think. I think that he, the things that he knew about what it meant to be a good Scientologist, he did with all of his heart and soul. So things like no um, case on post, you know, where you don't share what's troubling you, you don't talk about your emotions. Um, He was all about that. He was very proud of the fact that he rarely, if ever, complained. Um, The things about you don't 
um, criticize a fellow Scientologist or the church. He was all about that. And for me, working with two Scientologists, if I came home and said, hey, this particular doctor just irritated the snot out of me today, he'd be like, you can't talk about my people like that. <laughs> right. And I would say, I don't care if they're your people. This is my, my job, people. and I need somebody to share with. Right? <laughs> These are my people. I'm not talking about this doctor is a Scientologist. I'm talking about him as a coworker. And that, he was very uncomfortable with that. So those kinds of things. And I think the snitching. I really think he ran right to ethics and said, hey, this woman I'm dating said this thing. I, I really think that he did. Um, but the things that he didn't know because he couldn't go up the bridge and he wasn't, you know, in the know, so to speak, like you're not supposed to be meditating, you're not supposed to be going to your wife's wicked rituals. Yeah. <laughs> um, well. You're not supposed to be playing with crystals and drums. <laughs> um you know, he he loved all of that. And I wonder, you know, I I said to him one time, probably in that time period when, you know, when you're in that kind of limbo space and they haven't really kicked you out yet, but you're going to be, you know, and I said to him something like, you know, you're not supposed to be meditating. And he was like, what? And I'm like, no, and the Church of Psychology doesn't allow you to do that. It's called mixing practices. And he was stunned. He was absolutely stunned. Oh, wow. What, what did he, how did he respond to that? Did he say anything or? He said, I think you know more about my church than I do. And I said, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. <laughs> did, did he ever try to recruit you or did your work ever, did you work for a wise company and not realize it? No, I don't think they were a wise company. Um, they they took a couple of classes at the org, and then Singer, Dr. Singer, had a chiropractic management company. Um, as far as I know, he still does. You know, um, where you train chiropractors on different aspects of the business model and give them coaching. And they were members of Singer's, you know, management network. For a while, not after I started. After I started, they had moved to a different management company, okay. but they were with Singer for a while. Um, so what, what did you ask me? Yeah, I kind of rapid-fired that to you. Sorry. Uh, did anyone uh, try to recruit you, your work, or your husband? Oh, um, so very early. My work, not really... Um, the the one doctor who was a Scientologist brought in the video, uh, the, I don't know if it was a video or a course pack or whatever, on the problems of work and had me and my coworker watch this video and then asked us what we thought about it. And because we had not been indoctrinated to not ask questions or be critical or whatever, we were like, well, this part's dumb, and I don't agree with that. And, you know, maybe they have something going on here. I don't know. Kind of boring. <laughs> and that was the end of that. Um, I, I went with Brian to an event very early on. Um, I mean, we'd probably been dating for a couple of months, and I think it was, shoot, um, a flag world tour, maybe. I know Chris Shelton and I have talked about what this was because that's where I met him the first time. Okay. Um, and and uh, I was introduced to Barbara Dews from Flag. She was out with the world, Flag World Tour and doing some stuff at the org, and she invited me down to the local org. Well, what she invited me for was, I've, you know, I've known Brian for years, and I'd love to get to know his new friend. Let's get together and have a chat, which to me sounds like we're going to go to Starbucks and drink tea and have cookies. Right. But that's not what it was. Then she emailed me, and, um, and she said, I'm really looking forward to our interview. And I said to Brian, what the hell is this? Do I have to interview you to date you? Because that's not going to happen. <laughs> And he said, oh, no, no, no. She just wants to talk to you, and that's just what we call it. And I said, 
Okay. So um, so we went down to the org. Brian and I went to the org in the old one in the Twin Cities before they moved to the ideal org. And it was hard sell. Um, she, we sat down. She explained. She, she said the first thing, you know, they always say, what have you heard about Scientology? And by now, I kind of knew, like, like, I hadn't really read anything yet, but I knew, like, I wasn't giving anything away. And I said, um, pretty much only what Brian's told me, that it's, you know, a way to help improve yourself in your world. And she right. said, okay. And then she said, um, you know, do you know about the reactive mind? And I said, a little bit. Brian's tried to explain it, but, but just a little bit. And so she told me about, you know, the reactive mind is that part that, um, you know, with with the engrams when you have something that happens when you're asleep or unconscious and then these engrams and then they come up and cause you to be irrational and unhappy. And, um, and she said, so what are some unresolved traumas that you've had in your life? And I said, oh, I don't really have any. I said, I, I've had bad things happen, but I really think that I've worked through them and resolved them. Okay. And in my and in my head, I'm thinking like of these traumas that I've had that aren't resolvable, right? And there's no way I'm going to share them with this woman. This is right. not going to happen. And, and so she poked a couple of times, and she couldn't get anything there. And I just kept saying, "No, you know, I think I'm I'm pretty. Um, I've got a lot of clarity on things, and, and I don't really feel like I'm all that reactive." And so then. Okay, so that was what we have so far uh, with Penny. That's all we had time for today. Next week, we pick up part two right where we left off. Was that the end of the hard sell, or was there something more that was a turning point in that conversation for Penny uh, that went a little step too far? Uh, some of you probably already know the answer. And then find out more about what happened about the deteriorating health of Brian and how Scientology's uh, influence uh, greatly impacted his health. Uh, near the end there and find out how it all went along with 10 questions all right here next week. Um, until then, uh, stay connected. And that about uh, sums it up. Take care. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mum and dad, don't talk to your mum and dad, that's bad. Yep. Wrong. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, Pat came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talks about a seven-year-old child, mm-hmm. even, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult. So let's say we change that to an adult. You know, the woman shudders because the man kisses her even passionately. The fact is that she shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, I, yes, even to this day, when I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work.